the last four jobs that I've gotten have almost solely been because of social media. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? So today I have someone on Blake Emil that I just found about recently um, because his content has been amazing. He's been working it for a while, but just in the past two years, his Twitter following has gone from basically nothing to 80,000. From that, he's leveraged his audience to be CMO of Copy AI and do some really impressive stuff. So this episode is actually very tactical. If you're looking to build an audience on LinkedIn or on Twitter, he gets into the exact playbook of how to do that. In addition to that, kind of gets into, you know, what he's doing next, like how you can leverage this audience to open up new opportunities and doors. But it's a pretty fun one, very tactical, and uh, really hope you enjoyed this episode with Blake. All right, so I'm really excited for this podcast today. I'm I'm a big uh, Twitter junkie. I scroll on it way too much. And there was this person who kept popping up in my feed. I was like, man, this dude is just making it rain with good content. I started following him and he makes amazing stuff in and around stuff that I like around growth marketing and startups. And it got to a point, I was like, all right, I need to get this guy on the pod. So um, yes, we have Blake Immel on today. So Blake, excited for you to be here. I appreciate it. I've also been a fan of your content and what you're doing and purchased like all your growth playbook stuff. And so there's a mutual respect here for sure. Well, cool. Well, I'm excited to kind of nerd out on some stuff because I love the content you put out around growth. I'm like, oh my gosh, he said it so well. So you have a really impressive track record being CMO at like a very high growth SaaS company. I mean, shoot, your Twitter followings over 80,000. And I feel like you're kind of just getting started. And so before we get into like a lot of the tactics and how you've kind of grown your own following, but also like what you've done for companies... I'd love to take a step back. Like, how did all of this get started? Like your path into growth marketing? When I was 19, I was making a decision like, do I want to go to college? What do I want to do? I ended up actually taking two full years to volunteer. And I, I moved to France to do some volunteer work. And I loved it. It was awesome. But when I came back to the United States and wanted to kind of start up my career and start up college and that's a whole different scenario, college. Like we can chat about college too. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Anyway, when I got back, I had zero skills whatsoever. I had no clue what I wanted to do. Marketing was not something I knew anything about or really had ever considered doing. But because I was poor and desperate for finding a way to make ends meet while I was going to college, I just kind of lucked my way into an SEO job. And basically how that went down was I had a friend who was working on SEO with some French Canadian clients at an SEO firm locally, and they needed some extra junior help. And so he asked if I'd come in for an interview. I went in, they said, so um, are you good at SEO? Do you know what you're doing? And I was just like, um, yes. <laughs> and blatantly uh, lied. <laughs> Cause I was like, I'll figure it out later. Um, but I knew I spoke French and I could, I could handle that. And so I got the job. I, I faked it till I made it a little bit there, learned a ton about SEO over the course of about a year and a half. And the first year and a half, two years of doing all of this 
was strictly in French, fun fact. So I, I didn't do any marketing in English for quite a while. And I kind of had to relearn some stuff, some phrasing. So there were a lot of acronyms that I missed out that I had to relearn after the fact. But that's kind of how I got started. And the first year and a half, two years of my career, I was just doing it so that I could survive. I didn't know if that's really what I wanted to do. Looking back, there were definitely moments in my past, like in high school and stuff, where it was pretty clear I should be in marketing or build an audience. Maybe we can, we can chat about some of those things too. But that's where it all started. And from there, I kind of had a couple options. I knew I wanted to accelerate and commit to it. And I could either go like an agency route where I could learn high growth. I could really round myself out very quickly, work with a lot of clients. I knew that would be difficult or I could build my own thing. And I just didn't feel super ready to build my own thing at that point. So I went the agency route, worked for a local smaller agency, rounded out for a year and a half, two years. Then I moved on to a bigger, more enterprise type client agency where I was working with companies like Samsung, Betterment, clients like that. And it was just totally different. So in the former agency, I was learning paid acquisition, email marketing, things like that. At the higher ticket agency, I was learning a lot about sales, which I had not done yet. So I, I really just rounded out, tried to be as generalist as I possibly could at that moment with content and SEO as kind of my background. And then a couple gigs later, was able to get into a CMO role pretty quickly and build my audience. But there are a lot of gaps to fill in there for sure. I don't know what direction you really want to take it from there. No, it's really cool. Well, just some things to call out that's really interesting is I think you have this traditional path of I go to high school, I go to college, I get a degree. That degree tells me, hey, you studied finance, go work in finance or whatever that would be. But that's I don't know if that's true anymore. Like the jobs that will be available in five years aren't degrees for like it's changing so fast. And that's a great example of. Well, first you have a you have a uh, something to put some urgency. I think your words you are poor and desperate, so that'll uh, make you move really fast to find something. But all these digital and technical jobs, you don't need the degree for, you know. And so, by the way, did you speak fluent French as you're doing SEO in French? Mm -hmm. Yeah. By the time I came back to the states, I spoke French better than I spoke English anymore. So that wasn't really a problem. But getting back to the college stuff, like I was taught. College is kind of where you go if you want to have a real living. And most of the people around me in my life were of that mindset. And so I just kind of thought that was the option. I ended up dropping out, but I dropped out after successfully accumulating 25K in student debt first. So I really didn't do it the right way. <laughs> I didn't learn anything from college in terms of what I wanted to do or really any marketing skill set at all. In fact, while I was in college, I was working the whole time and I eventually got to a place where I was getting a little bit more advanced in my degree and taking marketing classes. And it was total BS. Like everything was such bad information. And that was kind of a tipping point for me. Tried a few other things out, tried to do a little bit more on the development side as well. So I learned to code and just really basic, like HTML, CSS, Python, stuff like that. Can't even do JavaScript. But once I started doing that, I realized, oh, I could just learn all of this without having to pay for it or paying way less. And so I eventually dropped out with student loans hanging over my head. So it's, it's definitely not the perfect path and not the path that makes sense for a lot of people. Right, yeah, you could have just gotten the, what you needed from YouTube or something, but hey, better yeah. it's 25K and not like 125K, but still. <laughs> yeah. 
so I think the other thing that's interesting is you kind of go to a local agency, you're learning paid ads and email, you go enterprise, you learn sales. Because in the marketing, like you already know this, but for people listening, there's this idea of like being a T-shaped marketer where think of a T like, you know, a little bit at the top of the T, like around paid ads, SEO, content marketing, product marketing, whatever that is. But then you can go deep, like the long part of the T on, like for you, it sounds like it's content and SEO. And I'm sure there's other things you go deep on, but it allows you to get that broad exposure to what you want to focus on. So that's really cool. But for people listening, it's like, wait a minute, how the heck did Blake go from, he's kind of at these agencies helping then boom, a CMO role. Like what kind of catapulted you to that opportunity? Yeah, it's a combination of two major things. Number one is building an audience, which happened over the course of seven, eight years before I saw any real traction. That's not really the story people want to hear, but it's, you know, that's the truth. I was writing on LinkedIn for seven or so years before I really started doing well there and going over to Twitter and finally making it work. I tried building an audience on Twitter for almost a decade and failed every single time because I had no clue how to write digitally. I was writing for like school essays still. I was a super strong writer in school. I was doing all the AP classes in high school. My junior year of high school, I had like five AP classes. I was just crushing it on the writing there. And that's the format that I learned and I was good at it. So I never wanted to really let that go. But that's just not how you write online. I had to unlearn a lot of things to get to that point. But some things started clicking. I got better and better and better at certain things, started building an audience, and that proved to be a massive competitive advantage. The last four jobs that I've gotten have almost solely been because of social media. The first two were more because of LinkedIn, the last two because of Twitter. And so that's just basically one competitive advantage that got me onto the radar of some of these people that were hiring for better roles. The other thing is that every single time I decided to take the leap, I've been very mobile in my career and I'm a huge advocate of it. A lot of recruiters are going to look at it and be like, oh, job hopping, that's a bad look. But if you're not job hopping, you're not making more money and you're not going to get a title bump. So if you're looking to grow your career in marketing and not necessarily build your own thing, but you know, build up to where you can be an executive at a really cool company, really the way to do it alongside having an audience is that you do have to be pretty mobile every one to two years, which is a lot. It's a lot of change. It's a lot of challenge and a lot of growth that comes alongside it. So for me, I just had to be really egoless at every point of that and say, all right, I'm okay at SEO and content now. I'm going to move on to an agency where I can round out. Once I had rounded out and those local clients were no longer challenging, which can happen quick if you're allowing yourself to grow your skill set quickly, then you say, okay, I'm going to push using my audience as well as a a main benefit for why I should be hired, I'm going to push for a title bump at a bigger challenge. And you're able to sell yourself there. And then you go to, all right, I've done that. I've worked with a lot of sales teams. I've got sales experience now. I'm going to go in-house for the first time. And so what I did was I looked at a company called TalkDesk, which is like a $10 billion company. It's not the sexiest product. It's not a sexy company or, you know, it's not the most fun to market, but It's super established, and I would be able to learn a ton about management, enterprise sales, sales enablement, demand generation. And so I took another title bump to move over there from that high growth agency. My audience was bigger than it was in the previous hiring stage where I jumped ship again. So I go over to TalkDesk. Now I'm a senior manager of demand generation in-house somewhere. And so I'm adding a lot more elements there. Then finally, the next logical step is, 
I can either become a director level person at a massive company like this as the next step, which is probably not massive growth, or I can go to a startup where I can get like a CMO VP marketing type role and be asked to do everything and learn startups. So I took that challenge and learned more in a year than I ever have before. It's a matter of knowing when to take those calculated leaps and be fairly open to mobility paired with having a strong audience behind you where it just acts as this amazing social proof where people are interested. They feel like they're bringing your audience along the ride with them for their company. And you pair those things together. I think that's really been the secret sauce for me. But yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of elements, I would say those are probably the core too. That's so insightful. And I see it, especially with like tech or developers, people in those roles where um, they'll do it not just for the title bump, but they'll like do a, a tour of duty at Apple, get their options. They'll then go to like, you know, Facebook or Google or Amazon. Like I have a good friend who's done that, like going back and forth from Amazon to Microsoft because you can get that bump. You can also get that bump in title and that bump in income. And so I love how you're very strategic and doing it to get your skills, but also to kind of up level your probably comp and then also your title. But I want to take a step back because one of the key components to this is having an audience, which allows those doors to open. Right. And so I want to get to like, what is that playbook you would give? And I love how you're just honest on like, hey, this didn't happen overnight. This was a lot of grinding and you had to unlearn like what you thought you were great at for writing didn't work for online. So for someone that's starting today and they're like, okay, I want to do what Blake did and get to 80,000 followers on Twitter. What advice would you give? What's that playbook? And specifically, I'd love like what you had to unlearn from a writing standpoint. I think the biggest lesson I had to learn is that nobody really cares about you up front, as sad as that is. You really hope that people just care about you and that you can build this movement. But you have a lot to prove to people if you want their attention. And attention is the currency of the internet. If you want to get that, you have to be really interesting. And you have to have a group of people that find that interesting and want to keep looking at that interesting content. So it took a long time for me to actually put together a compelling package of interesting content paired with an audience that actually cares about it. It can be a little bit challenging to find that. I've had my ways of kind of allowing my audience to define my niche for me and find those topics for me as opposed to trying to guess at what works best, but it's a lot more work to do it that way. In terms of writing, what I kind of had to unlearn, first off, formatting is totally different online. When I'm looking at the stuff that I used to write in high school, it's five-page essays in you know APA format or whatever, and it's like super strict formatting. You have to have a hypothesis. You have to have supporting facts in there. and It's just one way of doing thing, or it's not good, and it's overly complicated. And so I had to learn that not only am I not as smart as I think I am, nor should I try to be. If I'm posting something on LinkedIn or on Twitter, I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room because I've never going to be that. Nobody really is. There's always somebody smarter than you. What people really resonate with is your ability to simply put information in a compact package. If I have the choice between reading a 280 character tweet that says the exact same thing as a 300 page book, like that's an extreme example, but obviously which one am I going to read? I'm going to read the tweet because I probably get the same bullet points and none of the fluff, really. 
so I had to learn how to put really compelling, interesting stuff in a compact package, which is a hard, hard thing to do, especially if you're not starting out as a strong writer or you just don't like editing because a lot of writing is just editing, right? When I started out, I was probably posting things that were a lot more complex, a lot more hypothesis-based, following that format. And over time, I realized I can tell stories so long as they tie into something that's valuable. I can give simple step-by-steps on what I've known, what I've done, and that's really all that I can talk about. And once I've really narrowed it down to a few simple principles, it's become a lot easier with having that constraint to actually write things that are compelling. Now it's just a matter of finding the right topics that I should go after that my audience has actually told me that they care about. That's super interesting. So like, first off, I want to know, like, how does the audience tell you what topics to write about? And can you talk through, like, should you be someone that's like working in public and tweeting every day? Or it's like, hey, it's it's quality, not quantity. And instead do like two epic tweet storms in a month. Like, would love to kind of unpack what has worked for you. Yeah. So there are a lot of conflicting schools of thought. When I was starting an SEO and still to this day, uh, my favorite SEO blog was Backlinko. They recently just sold to SEMrush. I'm kind of bummed about that, actually. But um, yeah, <laughs> we, we, could, we could talk about that too. But um, one thing that I really liked that Brian Dean would always say is like, the advice you're going to get from other blog creators is that you should create as much as possible. But really, Google doesn't value that as much as they value high quality content that answers people's questions. And it's really clear that the intent is there and it matches the intent. You don't have to post as often. I totally agree with that, especially for his blog. But for social media, in my opinion, it's different. There are some people that can take that approach. And on Twitter, for example, just start writing threads and do really well. But I would say that 99% of the time, if you start with long form content, making assumptions without a proven track record of good digital writing, it's probably not going to do well. And you've just spent four times, five times as much time on the thread as you would have writing 10 tweets individually. My methodology has been on LinkedIn and on Twitter, basically a simple framework of pick 10 to 15 topics. So a decent amount of topics. This is not for the faint of heart, but this is kind of what I did. 10 to 15 topics that you are going to allow yourself to post on for the next two to three months. Then you actually post about it, tweet about it, every single one, every day. So on Twitter, I would do 15 tweets, one about every single topic, which is a lot. On LinkedIn, I probably would not do 15 LinkedIn posts a day. I would probably do one a day and switch up the topics and try to learn a little bit more slowly there. But on Twitter, I was going crazy. I really started on Twitter September 2020. So it's only been about a year and a half that I've been on Twitter. And that's what I did for three months. I just posted a ton about very constrained topics, but a decent amount of them. And after 24 hours, 48 hours of every single tweet, I'd go back, look at the analytics, not too in-depth, just enough to say what worked, what didn't work, what could I maybe try next time, and started narrowing in on what my audience was t- was saying they really liked through the engagement. If you treat engagement almost like a vote of confidence or just a vote in general, a like is a vote that says, I like this. Uh, retweet is a vote that says, I think this is worth sharing. A reply is a vote that says, I want to continue the conversation or even like, I disagree with this, but if they disagree with it, they think it's interesting. So you take notes on all these different things. And over the course of a few months, you start realizing 
what topics never get any engagement or what formats never seem to get any engagement. You kind of come to a conclusion about a lot of these and you can narrow it down to two to three topics that you should always be posting about. And then you know that stuff works. So when you do the long form content, you have a much higher level of confidence. Like it's at that point, it's maybe a 50% chance that the thread will at least be worthwhile and do better than your average smaller tweet and get you followers. Whereas if you just started writing long form content right away, you probably would get like 1% of those to really hit. So it's a big contrast if you're willing to put in the work. All that to say, wrapping this in a bow, I believe that quantity leads to quality when you're building a personal brand and building an audience. I think you have to have the reps in there. It's a very select few people that can just start straight in with the high quality, fewer posts, but very high quality, longer form content and absolutely crush it. It's it's a lot less common. So if you think that you are a prodigy and can do that, go ahead and try it. But the likelihood is that you're probably going to spend a ton of time writing something long form where you could have spent that time writing 30 to 40 short form pieces and just tried things out experimented and taking a growth mindset to that. That's really how I did it. And I just kept iterating on that. And then when I had those topics that I felt really confident in, I did go all in on long form content. So I did write threads. I did start a newsletter. I did all those things. And guess what? I had a lot more confidence that was going to work and it did work. It worked a lot better, very quickly. Most of my growth happened actually once I started doing long form content, but I have absolutely no confidence I would have done that without the three to four months before of posting more short form things. Dude, so helpful. So if I'm trying to like say this back, because I think people listening, this will be very helpful. It's lay out these topics of content. They're like, hey, maybe my potential audience would like this. And it sounds like you had a decent amount, like 10 or so. And then you're doing, especially on Twitter, where it's a high frequency, it's like 15 a day. Are you using like a scheduling tool? Or are you like just doing that yourself or maybe a hybrid? Upfront, I was doing it completely spontaneously. Oh, that's awesome. And so you're doing that. But then it's like, let's be data driven here, see what works. So when stuff works, then it could be in, worth investing in like a long tweet thread or or going deeper on that. Were you doing anything to like engage with other people that are like in the conversation? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't doing the typical influencer jacking where you put notifications on for Naval and the other big accounts. (laughs) You try to be the first to comment because that doesn't actually work. It doesn't do anything. You might actually have a good comment and get likes from that, but that doesn't almost ever translate to followers. So if you're trying to build an audience, that's not really the way to do it. What I did do engagement wise is I had a list of people that I really liked their thinking. And so I would engage just because I wanted to get smarter and keep the conversation going, maybe get on their radar, maybe get them to follow me for future social proof, stuff like that. But I really made it a point that I'm going to post spontaneously in the moment, all those different things. And the reason I did that was not because it was easier, but because it forced me to have to be online when I was posting it, which meant that I was a lot more likely to engage immediately with other people that engaged on my own content. So I was building a lot of goodwill. It's kind of the same thing you hear from YouTubers, respond to every comment on your YouTube video, kind of the same thing here, respond to everything, be a little bit more thoughtful than they even expect and try to write out one-off tweets in your comments too. Try to make your your responses to people so good that they could have been tweets themselves. I tried to do that as much as I possibly could. And that built a lot of goodwill. It also got a lot of people to want to turn notifications on for me because they knew that they could have a direct conversation if they caught me right when I posted it. So that's another key to growth on Twitter, especially is getting notifications on 
because the more people that do that, the more people you have immediately liking your stuff, which triggers to Twitter that like, oh, this post is doing really well right away. Let's move it on to a bigger group of people because the engagement ratio is really good. So you're starting to play the algorithm a little bit there too. That's a really solid engagement strategy in my opinion. And then just having a few people that you really look up to and not trying to jack their tweets, but just trying to get a conversation going or get on their radar a little bit and then find other friends that are kind of your peers, people that are at the same spot as you and engage with their stuff and pay it forward as well. I wouldn't try to treat your engagement strategy like a hack because that's, that's really not what it is. And if that's what you're trying to do, you're not really going to build an audience. You're just going to get followers. And there is a difference. Yeah, that's a great call out. You want to be like authentic if you're playing the long game. And and last question on Twitter, like, has there been any outlier, like specific posts that did extremely well for you? I've had a couple that were just really simple. Like my top performing tweet of all time is basically just a list of things that we should not care about so much. And it's, it's all like, Hey, let's not care as much about hustle culture and stuff like this. And that got like 33,000 likes, which I didn't expect at all. It took (laughs) took about four minutes to write the thing end to end. It was super simple. There are other ones where when I started out, especially I would play games with my audience. So I would say, Hey, I'm really good at landing page optimization. And for the next hour, anybody that drops their link down below, I'll give you a piece of advice about your website to try to make it a little bit better. And then I would respond to everybody and I would go well beyond an hour or two. I'd always try to be generous with my time there. And I just do stuff like that. And that always performs super, super well because people really like free stuff. And so I learned really quickly, people like free stuff. I should do more free stuff and give that away. And that's going to help me grow an audience as well, which is also the strategy I took to build my email list. So I think there are some core principles that I learned that should have been obvious to me, but it took me posting about them to actually make it obvious to me. Dude, it's so good. And as someone I like, I really want to go all in on Twitter. Like this is so helpful just for me to hear, man. But that's super impressive and love how thoughtful you are with everything. And so, and one thing for people that are listening, like, because I kind of like a push it off, like, oh, build an audience. That sounds exhausting. Let my like work speak for itself. But I will say some of the best opportunities I have had in my career are because I like, shared what I was working on or put myself out there or even like with this book that I wrote, it's kind of crazy. And, it, and it's unfortunate because it's just a fraction of what we do, but it can just open up so many doors. Could you speak to like the doors that open for you? And like, I don't know if you want to get in how that led to the SaaS that you were able to be a part of. I've been very transparent about most things in my career. And I've tried to make it a point that my account, whatever, whether it's on LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever, is pretty much all about giving away everything that I've already learned for free. So in theory, if you wanted to hire me to do a job, you would already have all the knowledge that I have about doing that job. And you could technically just not hire me and go back and compile a full course to teach yourself to do it through my content. Or if a consulting, same thing. If you want to hire me as a consultant, technically you should be able to go back and look at everything that I've written and know exactly what I'm going to say to any question. That's really my goal. Because when you think about it, it sounds risky and sounds like, oh, well, if I give everything away, then there's nothing left on the table and people are just going to, you know, they're not going to engage me further because why would they? They can get everything for free. But that's not my experience at all. In fact, 
It's the complete opposite. Every time that I have been very good at giving everything I know away for free is when I make the most money or get the new job offer or get consulting or advisory roles or offers. And it's because people think, oh, this is the free stuff. I can't imagine what actually work paying him and working with him must look like. In reality, the content is not different. It's more organized. It's more tailored toward the specific company or person, but that's really it, right? It's There's nothing that's really a secret. I'm not hiding anything, any playbooks from anybody. I just don't have it all organized in the most clean way because it's all across my Twitter timeline. But other than that, you could just get it all for free. And when you take that mindset, people just want to work with other people like that. It's kind of like the open source movement, but for personal branding. People love open source. They love what it stands for. They love that everything's available. People love that Tesla made all of their, basically all the blueprints, all of the mechanics behind how a Tesla's made public so that other car companies can do it. Because who's competing really with Tesla still? Nobody, even though they're all using that technology. Tesla's winning, even though they've done that. So people love the open source methodology. And I try to take that in my own personal approach. So, you know, for the last job with Copy AI, it all started because I was putting out a ton of free marketing content. The founder there saw there was a huge need for marketing at the company and basically decided this is a personality fit. This is a knowledge fit. Let's start a conversation. Within two weeks, I was working there. It was really, really quick because I didn't need a resume. I didn't need any reference checking or social proof or whatever because my social proof was all the content I shared and there was clear domain knowledge. And then you can see the personality mixed in there too. And it can just become very quickly clear what's a fit and what's not. Yeah, you like bypass the whole interview process to like the final round by by having that out there, which is, yeah, if you put in the time, it is so worth it. And so right now, are you... Are you working with anybody? Are you kind of, you're like doing consulting and then you, I think you have some other stuff that you're a part of, like, where are you at right now? I'm very busy. I do have a new job lined up and I will be announcing that soon enough, but I'm excited for that. On top of that, I'm doing advisory. So I've got a few advisory spots right now where I'm just helping companies from a strategic level. I've got a couple where I'm doing advisory plus hands-on consulting as well. And helping them build out some processes. So I'm pretty busy. On top of that, I'm really trying to grow my newsletter right now as priority number one and keep everything that I've built on Twitter and LinkedIn really going and improving it still. I don't want that to get stagnant, but there's a lot going on. It's It's been a crazy time. That's awesome. Yeah. I want to get into like growing a newsletter. So like, but I want to put a question out there or just even a thought because for other people listening, like, okay, I'm, I'm going down this path of a growth marketer or getting really good at helping grow companies. Like, what are the paths you could take? Because obviously it's like, let me like jump on a, a rocket ship, a startup and be a part of the growth team there and get a great comp, get equity. That's like one path. You have another path where it's like you could be consulting and charge a really nice fee um, and, it, and maybe you could get equity there as well. You have another path where it's like, let me scale myself and like build the agency, which is kind of like the path that we're part of. And then you have another path where it's like, hey, you know, if I'm so good at growth, why can't I start my own companies and actually own these companies that I grow. And so I don't know, like, as you look at these options that you could go down, it's kind of like you have these skills, but which game do you want to play? 
if that makes sense. Like, I don't know if you kind of wrestle with that or if you have any thoughts on it. Yeah, for sure. For me, I've always had multiple things going every second of my life. I'm very ADHD. I, I have to be multitasking on stuff, which I wish was not true because I do truly understand that focus is the most powerful thing. So I try to focus as much on a primary thing, but also have secondaries in my life. The true answer is that you're never going to know exactly what you want to do until you try a little bit of everything. So I have tried a little bit of everything. I have gone the, let's do the executive at a smaller startup that's ready to start, not even in like growth phase yet, but trying to find product market fit in an exciting time, trying to find our messaging, all that stuff. Or I could work at a company in-house and learn how a traditional company that's already been successful and kind of made it, how they got there and reverse engineer it. I could do the agency route. I could be a junior growth person, like which I, I'd skip that. I never did that part. And that could have been really interesting. Could do advisory, could start my own thing. I've actually done all that. I've done all of those things and started to find out a little bit more of what I really like, which is creating content. I really like it. It's fun. I like building an audience. I like growing with a group of people beside me. That's where I really like spending a lot of my time. And so for me, I've got this new job coming up. It was super important to me that if I was going to take anything ever again, it would be very content focused and creator focused and that I would feel right at home and a product that I would use. And so I was able to find something that was absolutely perfect. If not, I was just going to basically keep doing advisory because it's paying the bills just fine. It's great. It's, it's interesting. I'm learning a ton and getting some results, but that's stuff that I view more secondary for me right now. Cause I still want to keep honing my craft of content creation and taking that to the next level. You'd mentioned that I'm probably just getting started. And I, I agree because I spent seven, eight years making a lot of stuff and writing a lot of stuff that nobody ever saw until just in the past year and a half people started actually paying attention to my account online, which is really cool, but it's still very early on. And if I'm not willing to keep doing that for multiple decades, then there's no point in me doing it right now. And I totally see that. So I'm mostly dedicated to creating content. And I've, again, found that out because I've tried a lot of the other options that are available to me and found out what I really like and been, more importantly, just been really stingy about what I don't like. Like I have a family and so I need money (laughs) under pressure to have money, obviously. And um, it can be hard to say no to things when you have certain levels, you know, you need to meet in terms of income or different opportunities. You have to be willing to get to a place where you're like, "Uh, yeah, I don't want to do that. For me personally, this last round of kind of looking through and seeing if I ever wanted to have a job again, the biggest thing that I basically decided was, I don't want to be in charge of paid ads at all. I don't find it as interesting as content in the slightest. It's not what I'm passionate about. And even though I can do it in the past, I've just said, yeah, I can do it. Let's do it. And now I'm to a place because I've tried all these things where I am finally open to say, I don't like doing ads. It's not fun for me. Let's, let's have somebody else focus more on that, which has been uh, game breaking for me. I wish I would have, come to that conclusion sooner yeah but i think you're right you've got to like just test stuff out to see what you like what you don't like what you're good at but what you're like great at 
you know, and you don't know until you do it. And then you do it like for sustained period. But no, I mean, that's super exciting. Excited to see what you do next. And so the goals to now kind of build the audience, you did this uh, really good blog post on like growing your email list. I don't know if you want to give advice to people on what people should do if they're starting today on growing their email list. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, don't start one <laughs> unless you have a really interesting idea that you know you want to write about. The biggest problem that a lot of personal brands or companies have with the newsletters is that they feel compelled to have one, but they don't have a compelling reason to have one. And if you just have the newsletter to have the newsletter because everybody else does, because your competitor does or whatever, if you have no plan on how you plan to use that or be valuable through that channel or convey a helpful message that's interesting, you should just not start one. It is not for the faint of heart to have to write longer form content or even short, if you're doing a short form newsletter, that's cool too, but harder to pull off, but it's not worth it to create all that content, spend all that time writing, distributing, getting feedback, kind of keeping that loop going. If you just have nothing interesting to say, nobody's going to join it. So you do have to have kind of an interesting premise. You have to have your own voice and I can't tell you perfectly how to do that because it's very personal. For me, it took, again, years for me to stick with a newsletter that I'm actually writing consistently every single week and actually getting sponsors for and feeling confident that I'm going to keep it going. So if you're not committed to writing every single day or every single week, however often you're doing it for years, then just don't start is the <laughs> step one of the framework. If you pass that filter, there's some pretty simple things that you can do to get traction going. It's a lot easier if you have a built-in audience up front. If you don't, basically what I talk about in that article is a simple concept. I call it a super magnet. It's just a lead magnet, but it's probably a lead magnet that takes you more time and it's you're building something that normally you would charge for. So for me, I've used like a full course about how to grow on Twitter as a lead magnet to promote a business or to promote a newsletter. They're, they're bigger things, right? If you can take something that's truly valuable and then use that as a super magnet, you can actually drive people from social, build your audience simultaneously on social and get them into a newsletter spot where they actually are very compelled to subscribe and get that thing. An example of what this really looks like Let's say you build out an asset that is a full course on learning JavaScript, for example. And this is normally something that would cost $99 because it takes a lot of time and it's a video course, whatever. You decide that you're going to play the long game. You're going to make it free for this one purpose, which is to put it onto a landing page where people can sign up for your newsletter and then get this thing for free. And you make it very clear that they're signing up for a newsletter, that it's free but does require an email. You got to make that very clear. You don't want to spam people. You build that landing page. Then you go onto social media and you say, okay, well, I don't have an audience. So I got to do something to generate some buzz. Well, you've got this free super asset that you can use. And essentially the framework on, on Twitter at least is saying something like, hey, I just created this asset. Here's exactly who it's for and why it's beneficial. If you want this, just reply with literally anything in the comments and I'll send you a DM with the link. So you're not promoting it with a link, which would kill your post engagement immediately because the last thing that Twitter wants or any social platform wants is for people to leave their website and you're effectively encouraging people to do that with a link. So instead, you keep it all in platform until they get to the DMs where the algorithm has no power over you and you just say, all right, 
if you want this, raise your hand in the comments. I'm going to DM it to you. I started doing this manually and I would get hundreds of comments. So there's one where I got like 700 comments on one of these one time. I had to manually DM these people and I had to spread it out over a couple of <laughs> days. So I didn't get my account suspended or anything, but I manually had a message where I just copy pasted in here. I'd let people know, Hey, this is, this is a, a copy paste message just so you know, but here's the link. I would try to be as transparent as I could. And then the DMs have no algorithm over you. You can send people wherever you want, no problem. And I got an insane amount of completions, like 70% of the people that asked for a DM and got one actually went over to the website. And then like 80%, 90% of those people actually signed up for the asset. So I grew my email list, you know, 500 names per pop when I would do this. There was one where I got, 15 or 1600 just from doing that one time and that was actually over on linkedin and i use the exact same methodology so that's an easy way where you could get a quick win i would not recommend doing that all the time if you're doing that multiple times a week or even one time a week it's really exhausting and uh you're probably going to get your account suspended if you do it too much but if you just do that every once in a while once you have a really valuable asset to share it works like magic and that's a good way to get your start from there, though, it's all about how high quality is your writing and can you effectively encourage other people to share it. Word of mouth is always going to be the best way to grow a newsletter, but that's a good way to start a newsletter if you have zero. Yeah, that's great advice. What what a way, good way to turbocharge it too. Just not wait on organic, but like really put something out there that people are excited about. And great advice on the DM part. But yeah, that is it's uh, a lot of copy and pasting for sure, but probably definitely worth it. I automate <laughs> all of it now. So we're, we're good now. Whenever I do something like that, it's all automated. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> oh, cool. That's awesome. Um, well, cool. I know we're um, ramp a little bit on time, um, but I, I always like to ask this question. What is the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career? Oh, yeah, a lot of things. One that really stands out for me was early on. So I mentioned after I had done about a year and a half in SEO, I was kind of looking for that next step and ended up at that local agency. But before I knew that I was going to do that, I was really struggling with knowing if I really wanted to keep doing marketing or not. I was not super bullish on doing that for the rest of my career, honestly. And so I was really wavering and thinking about, should I switch? Should I try to be a coder? What should I try to do? And during that time, I'd just gotten married and we were super poor, just trying to figure stuff out. It was a hard time, honestly, really hard financially, really hard mentally, not knowing what to do. But I kind of just had this gut feeling that I should keep going and try to expand and find out what I really, really like and not give up on the whole marketing thing yet. And so I made that decision, but I was kind of looking for a job and not finding anything that was very appealing for me. Everything was still very junior level. And I was looking to make a little bit of a leap so that I could be challenged at the most. Like the pay wasn't going to be that much better, but could I get more of a challenge and learn more? And Funnily enough, some one of the guys that I met that was also a volunteer in France lived nearby me and was working at this other agency. And I just reached out to him. This was an acquaintance. This was not a good friend. This was an acquaintance at the time. He's now a really good friend of mine. But I reached out to him and I was like, hey, is there any chance that y'all are hiring at Foxtail? Can, can we do anything together? And I'm an SEO guy. Just tried to pitch myself a little bit. 
And he actually hooked me up with an interview. And I don't think they were planning on hiring anybody maybe, but he hooked me up with an interview. I showed up. I actually did really well in the interview. And he pushed for me to get a job there. And so without him, trajectory could have been totally different. He's now a VP of marketing. And so he's done really well too. And that was awesome because I didn't really deserve a leap at that moment. I didn't really even have it all in me to, I I didn't feel like I wanted to go all in, but that helped propel me to a different place where I did go all in there and I felt very supportive and had kind of a champion in the company. So that was, that's something that comes to mind for sure. Shout out to Danny. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's those people that like, they just put in that little extra effort and like vouch for you. They can literally like change your career. So that's so cool, man. Well, Blake, this has been a blast. I mean, you, you do so much good stuff out there. Where should we point people if they want to like follow you or see the content that you put out there? Yeah. Uh, Twitter's a good place to start. I think you can find pretty much everything in some way over there. So at Hey Blake, if you want to follow me or uh, unfollow me, whatever you want to do over there. And then uh, connect with me on LinkedIn too. I, I'll accept your connection. Just let me know you found me through this podcast. I'd be excited to chat in the DMs there. And if you're looking for a marketing newsletter that's succinct, but tries to not be super status quo about it, talks a lot about growth and audience building specifically, uh, you can visit carbonated.me, carbonated.me. And I'm actually uh, getting a new website up that I'm really excited about. It's going to be pretty slick. So those are probably the three best places to find me. But my DMs are always open too for whenever you all want to have a chat. Yeah, I can vouch for the content. It's very strong. It's why we're talking today. But Blake, this was awesome, man. I really appreciate the time. Appreciate it, Jim. It was great chatting. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, Growth Hit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.